This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers podcast, a proud member of the Block M podcast network brought to you by Fans First Sports. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Matt Hartwell. Matt, Michigan defeated Purdue 41 to a painful 13. They gave up a a last-second touchdown, garbage-time touchdown to the Boilermakers at the end there, but... Other than that, um, how are you feeling about this Michigan win? Michigan is 9-0 and on this beautiful victory Sunday. I thought it was a great win. You know, there was a, a little bit of dust to be knocked off in terms of uh, bi-week sluggishness, uh, sluggishness that was occurring on the field yesterday. But, uh, you know, they overcame it, uh, knocked it off, overall had great performances across the board uh 20,000 foot view of this thing I would have to say that probably the offensive line's worst game up to this point just initial reaction uh my opinion especially at the tackle position I think that uh Ladarius and Carson had a little bit of a rough go of it in this one and uh you know also um some appropriate connection issues between JJ and the receivers. JJ obviously still had a fantastic output come end of the night, but uh, there was a little bit of disconnect in terms of uh, hitting Cornelius and uh, some of the other guys at times. So nothing that can't be worked on. I don't think there's any use for an overreaction in terms of any of that, but overall I was pretty impressed with the win, buddy. Yeah, man, that first quarter was like watching Top Gun on a big screen IMAX. I mean, it was thrilling. It was perfect. I was into it. And then that second quarter was like watching reruns of MASH on a black and white television or something. It was like, it was painful. It was barely entertaining. But for some reason, I couldn't take my eyes off of it, you know? And then, of course, Michigan in the third quarter did what Michigan oftentimes does in the third quarter. They they solidified everything that was going on. Uh, still no points given up in the third quarter this season, which is absolutely amazing. But other than the sloppy couple of turnovers, there was 
there was the turnover um, in the second quarter, and then there was the turnover on downs, which was somewhat of a questionable call. You know, a, a, a team like Purdue doesn't really get into a game like this unless you give them a short field. And so rather than punt the ball and give them a long field, Harbaugh and the boys decided to go for it, which at the time I was, you know, somewhat supportive of. You want them, you want them to go out and pick it up and assert their dominance. But then when we didn't get it, it was like, okay, all right. Like, why did we do that? Why, why are we giving them a short field to play with? But uh, in a game like Purdue, it doesn't matter. Um, in a game like Penn State or Ohio State, it could matter. But, you know, it's a couple of my other bullet points here. Blake Corum, three touchdowns. And it's like, we, we just know what Blake Corum's going to do now in this Michigan team. Like, he might have 40 or 50 yards rushing, but the dude is going to get in the end zone multiple times. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later in the show about where he ranks on the all-time uh, career rushing touchdown list for Michigan. But uh, you mentioned JJ had a little bit of a bi-week rust kind of, you know, inaccurate game. I, I think that might have been his least accurate performance. Uh, you know, you could make you could make the argument Bowling Green was his least accurate performance because he literally threw it to the other team three times. But yeah, it wasn't great at times, but JJ still did JJ things, you know, he escaped from the pocket. He found Roman Wilson more this game uh, than he's found him any other game. And he looked really good. And he was a big reason why we pulled away. Um, I don't know, man. A couple other bullet points. Samaj with the big end around TD. How you feeling about our boy Samaj Morgan? Man, I'm just becoming like more and more aware of the fact that whenever 82 enters the game, like something's happening or this team is looking to score. A big play is looking to be made. Uh, I mean, the kid is just electric every time he comes in the game. Very few snaps to his name. He's been gradually getting more uh, over the weeks, but he's just consistently like I know you pay attention to PFF. He's consistently one of the highest graded on PFF again this week. Uh, he's right up there with JJ and Roman amongst the highest graded on the team. Um, he, he is just incredible, man. The sky is the limit for this kid. I'm a huge uh, advocate of more Samaj minutes, so we'll see where that road leads. Up till to this point, I'm uh, gonna quit banging my fists on the table for more Samaj minutes because I think he's kind of like a nice change of pace guy, right? Like. The first yeah. half ends, uh, the team really like, and it, you saw it yesterday in the Purdue game, like Purdue was kind of going back and forth with Michigan between this like uh, 20 to three, uh, you know, lead. It almost looked like Purdue could have maybe taken advantage of some opportunistic miscues on Michigan's end. But uh, Samaj Morgan comes in towards the end of the third quarter completely wakes this team up with uh, his dynamic playmaking abilities. So just a, a big change of pace guy, and he's just done great things so far. You know what Samaj Morgan is? I, I realized this just this last weekend. Samaj Morgan is A.J. Henning, but just like a little bit crispier, you know, a little bit spicier. He's He fills that A.J. Henning role that we like really wanted to see A.J. Henning fill. Um, and this kid's only a freshman, so he's only going to get better. 
moving on to some other topics in the, in the game, you mentioned the offensive line struggling. Uh, the team as a whole only had 3.2 yards per rush, which that's just not the Michigan that we're used to. The 2022 Michigan Wolverines were getting, you know, the six, seven, eight, nine yards per carry. We're not really seeing that. Um, I have a theory about that too. I don't think necessarily that this O-line is worse than last year. And we know the running backs aren't worse than last year because it's the same running backs. Um, I think what's happening is our identity, and I say our, I should say Michigan's, but you know, yeah, on this podcast, we're fans. Everybody knows. I say we, I say our, get over it. You know, if you're a, if you're a hater, just you're just going to be a hater. Um, so anyway, our identity is throw first, run second now. In this game, you, you very much saw what our identity is, and you saw what Michigan is trying to do with J.J. McCarthy. They come out on first down, and they throw the ball. Well, that, that makes it a little bit tougher to pick up significant yardage on second down. And I think that's why we're seeing um, a lot of the, this, the ground game getting jammed up and you know, infinite, infamously uh, Donovan Edwards is getting jammed up just about every time he gets the ball. But I think it's because of the situations that he's getting the ball in. When you come in and you run it on first down and then you run it on second down if it was a good run on first down and then you run it again if, if, you, got a, you, know, if you got a first down and you moved the chains. And that was Michigan's identity in 2021, 2022. And I think that's where you wear down the interior of a defense and you get these 15, 20-yard runs. It's a little bit tougher to do that when JJ comes out and slings it around the field on first down because it changes the tempo, the momentum, and the dynamics of the game. And so I don't, I don't know necessarily what's going on. It doesn't look like the same run game we've seen in the past, but I do think it has a little bit to do with our emphasis on letting JJ McCarthy win or lose these games for us. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a vastly different dynamic from this year's offense to last year's offense. And to Jim Harbaugh's credit, you know, uh, at the beginning of the season, he came out, gave a, a split percentage of where he uh, assumed that this offense would be in terms of run or pass. And uh, through these uh, first nine games, it's pretty dead on to what Jim Harbaugh uh, guesstimated. I think he said like 60, 60, 40 or something like that. I can't remember. It was pretty close to 50, 50. And, uh, to the last time that I had checked the numbers, it was about that. So, you know, I think that they've adapted well to it and, uh, it's just, it's kind of less of a thing for them, you know, where the offensive line's getting down and they're ready to run protect on every single play. So I think for them, it's more just about protecting JJ, letting him do his thing and less about, you know, ground and pound as it's been uh, for so many years with these previously led Jim Harbaugh teams. Well, my other quick hitter that I had, you know, moving on from JJ McCarthy, the other quick hitter I had was, and this is not exactly breaking news to anybody, but Will Johnson is that dude. I mean, he, and we've known that. But it's just refreshing to see him continue to be that dude. He gave up a few uh, catches, but they were all in front of him. They, it, was, it was almost like th those were the catches he was basically allowing the defense to get. Um, very, a very good grade on PFF. I think he was targeted 
eight or nine times, gave up a few catches for a few yards. He got the interception, a couple really big pass deflections and tackles. And I mean, he's just a lockdown guy. And there's not a matchup in college football I'm looking forward to more than Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Will Johnson. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, certainly a very impressive matchup to watch. And Will Johnson really been coming along these last uh, few weeks after missing those first few weeks of the season. They ramped him up slowly over these last few weeks with uh, with the workload. So he's back to getting the most snaps on the team pretty much week in and week out. I think Jim Harbaugh kind of sees him almost as like the J.J. McCarthy of this defense, right? Uh, they they give a lot of trust in him. They give him a lot of minutes. So, you know, it's uh, I had tweeted it out yesterday. It's November, so it's Will Johnson season. I think yeah. we're going to start seeing more and more of those big plays of number two hanging back, waiting for his opportunity, and then uh, jumping the route, grabbing some interceptions. So I'm excited to see that kind of come to fruition more and more. Well, we're going to need him to come up big and, you know, we're going to need a lot of different circumstances to unfold in our favor for this season to end up the way Michigan fans want it to. Uh, Of course, I'm talking now about on or off the field. So if anybody's tuning in and wants to hear updates on Spygate, the scandal, the investigation, we're definitely going to get to that. But This is a football podcast, so let's talk a little bit more about some football before we get into the the off-the-field stories, which we will definitely dive into a little bit later on this episode. But talking about Michigan and Purdue a little bit more, let's hand out our Player of the Game Awards. We call that... This guy right here, and this guy right here! This guy right here. Matt, I've got a few names locked and loaded for this segment so i'm gonna let you go first because no matter who you pick i've got some other guys on backup so who's your this guy right here well mike we've already uh talked a little bit about him you know i know this segment is typically reserved for a player of the game he doesn't quite have the snaps uh to be you know largely considered that but i I think I might have a feeling of where you're going with your this guy right here this week. So I'm going to go with Samaj Morgan. I think that what he did in that third quarter with that uh, jet sweep, I think it just changed the entire pace of the game. It almost looked for a point like Purdue may like have a score, like may score, you know what I mean? Or kind of change the momentum a little bit. They were going back and forth for two quarters of just nothingness until Samaj broke free for that touchdown. So I'm going with Samaj. He also had a big play uh, where he connected with J.J. McCarthy uh, not long after that. So Samaj Morgan, my this guy right here for this week. This guy right here and this guy right here. I mean, that's a good pick. I, You know, he's I agree. He didn't have like the workload that you would typically see a player of the game get. But man, that little end around that jet sweep that that he took to the end zone, I, I couldn't agree more. That was a pivotal part of the game. It was one of those weird games where Purdue was able to hang around. They weren't really ever in it. No, when it was 20 to six, nobody thought they were going to win the damn thing. But it looked like it might get ugly. It might just be an ugly win. And 
Samaj busted that thing wide open. And so that was a, a very important piece of the game. Uh, for my this guy right here, it's kind of obvious, but he's been disrespected a little bit in the national media recently. He's been left off uh, the Bolitnikov Award Preach. list. Yeah, which goes, you know, it, it goes against all logic to leave this guy off the, the list for the, the number one receiver in the country. Uh, to put that in perspective, I know many of you guys listen to our show, so you already know this, but the Bolitnikov Award watch list, they put out 63 names on this watch list for the best receiver in the country. And my guy, Roman Wilson, was nowhere to be found on that list. It was a clear, uh, clear bias type situation where I believe they were taking the investigation uh, into consideration. But so the guy that they left off the list that has uh, almost the, the most touchdowns in the country, right? Second or third most receiving touchdowns in the country at this point. Uh, what does he do? He comes out and catches nine balls for 143 yards. His best game from a yardage standpoint all season long. Roman Wilson wearing the iconic number one jersey is my... This guy right here, and this guy right here. This guy right here. Absolutely. I love it. I knew you were going to go with that pick. And uh, honestly, just an honorable mention, Will Johnson, who I just got done gushing about, was uh, my other name written down here. I think Will Johnson just had a stellar performance this past game, and... Uh, just really carried the defense from a secondary perspective. Interception early on in the game, uh, just locked down the remainder of the game. So, Will Johnson, we see you, buddy. Will Johnson, we see you for the honorable mention. And you know what? Since we're talking about the secondary, let me slide this guy in as well, since we're name dropping a little bit at this point. Rod Moore woke up a little bit. Rod Moore was looking like, uh, the God more that we know and love from a season ago. It took him a little while to get going, but in this that game. pass breakup in the end zone? Yeah, yeah. He had two, actually, two pass breakups. He only got uh, credited with one, but there were two passes that he was very much involved in uh, breaking up. And actually, that the pass breakup in the end zone, <laughs> if he wouldn't have tipped it, I think Will Johnson would have got his second pick of the game. Did you notice that? He kind of, they were kind of both in position there. Yeah, I did see that. So anyway, Rod Moore looking good. Will Johnson looking good. A lot of players playing really well. But you know what? There's only one thing. Well, I'm assuming there's only one for this show that made us say. Sheesh. And so, Matt, I want to know what, what is your one thing this week that made you say. Sheesh. Well, Mike, this week my sheesh has to go with the man that invented the sheesh himself, Donovan Edwards, picking up a massive pass play early on in this game. You know, just ha been having a lot of dirt thrown on his name lately, just uh, not being able to break loose for big plays. Still has yet to carry a ball for over 15 yards, which I'm just saddened by. He was able to get a touchdown on the ground in this one. But uh, Donovan Edwards came out early in the gate, early down the gates. He needs to stay in bounds next time. But still, uh, if other than Samaj Morgan's uh, jet sweep that I'm already giving him enough love for, I got to go Donovan Edwards for my sheesh play of the game. Sheesh. 
Man, excellent pick. I almost forgot about that play, and I don't know how I did because it was pretty much one of the biggest plays of the game. He shows, he continues to show that he has wide receiver capabilities on the outside. I mean, that was not a wheel route or a screen pass or anything like that. That dude lined up wide uh, and and literally ran that route from the receiver position. That's the one thing that I believe is keeping his draft stock very high right now because he hasn't broken a lot of big runs. Really, he hasn't broken any big runs this season, but his draft position remains high because of his versatility and his ability to do those things from the receiver position. Uh, so moving on to what made me say sheesh this week, a uh, little bit of Donovan Edwards. I like that. The Samaj Morgan turning on the Jets and getting into the end zone. I like that as well. But for me, nothing makes me say sheesh like a good tackle for loss. You know, like a, just a, a well-timed, solid tackle for loss. Uh, we, we saw Mason Graham get one a couple weeks ago that was monstrous. But my guy, Braden McGregor, on just a very simple run play in the middle of the game, kind of kind of you know blended in there it wasn't wasn't very uh well documented or publicized but man he just timed that out beautifully uh almost like he knew what was coming i'm just going to just squeeze that in there for the haters uh he he timed that beautifully got into the backfield and uh blew up the running back got a nice strong tfl braden mcgregor Excellent pick, buddy. I've been loving what uh, I've been seeing from this edge room, and I'm sure you already peeped it in the show notes. I'd like to go ahead and power rank what we've seen from these four starting edge guys through the first nine games of the season. You know, they're all so even keel, all provide like their own unique something to uh, the defensive line. So I'm curious. Obviously, they all work in unison. They all complement the team equally well. But how how would you rank these uh, edge guys from most impactful one through four? Yeah, and of course, I, I believe you're talking about Braden McGregor, Jalen Harrell, Derek Moore, and Josiah Stewart. And you know that's an interesting, uh, you know, question. There is like, how do you power rank those four edge players? Which the coaching staff have been very vocal that they have four starters at that position. It's not like you got two guys. It's not Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and then, you know, a big gap and then everybody else. I mean, these are four guys that they rotate in uh, time in and time out, snap in and snap out. And so I think you'll be surprised about how I have this ranked. And so of the four, I'm going to start with my number one. The guy that I have ranked number one overall, as far as these four edges go, is the guy with the least amount of sacks. I'm buying what he's selling. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. It's been a long ride for this guy, and it's time, man. It's time for us to jump all the way in the bandwagon. I'm going back to my guy, Braden McGregor. I think he's the best edge on the team, and I'll tell you what he's been doing that I like the most. He's been uh, breaking up passes, right? He's got, uh, I think, three pass deflections in very big moments. He's been uh, wreaking havoc in the backfield. He's starting to look uh, freakishly big 
like like Aiden Hutchinson would in, in a lot of those plays. And I, I hate to always compare him to Hutch because people have been unfairly doing that for years. But um, this is a positive comparison. You know, just the way he's moving in the backfield, he, he's playing larger than he actually is. He, I mean, and he's a big man. So anyway, I'm getting excited. I'm sure you can hear that because it's been a long time coming. Braden McGregor, number one. Let me power through. I'll give you my next three, and then we can hear, hear the, how you have it. Um, number two, this is tough, you know, but I'm going to say Josiah Stewart, number two. He leads the group with four and a half sacks. I'm going to say Jalen Harrell. Uh, probably the best all-around player in this group is Jalen. Uh, he's got the most experience. He's really good. He's got three and a half sacks. He, he might make the best pro on this team. We'll see how it all, all kind of pans out. And then number four, which it's hard to even put anybody last on this list because they're all so good. Uh, Derek Moore, who, who I think possibly has the highest ceiling of all four of these guys. Uh, and of course, he has three sacks his, as well. Uh, none of them have been amassing large sack numbers, but as you referenced, Matt, these guys are in the backfield just wreaking havoc on opponents, and so there's no wrong way to to rank these four. I'm I'm really curious. Uh, how do you have them ranked? It's really interesting, right? Because ultimately, like all four of them make up like two edge guys for this team with all of the different skill sets that they have and the different statistical breakdowns that each of them have through all of these first games. But uh, I've got it, Josiah Stewart at one. And okay. uh, that's not to just casually name like the guy that leads the team in sacks as number one, but Josiah Stewart just kind of encompasses these next two guys that I see on this list as being kind of a- exactly what both of them are good at and applying those things on the field. You know, you see Josiah Stewart always wreaking havoc in the opposing team's backfield, always getting a hand on the quarterback, always just being an absolute nuisance, uh, and and then all, also getting the sack or accompanying another guy with getting a sack. So Josiah Stewart, just to me, has been the biggest uh, the biggest lift for this edge room. So I've got him at one. Number two and number three, like they're just so razor thin, like they're almost their own tier for me. But uh, I'm really buying what Braden McGregor is selling. I really like almost wanted to put him high up there at number two. I'm going with Harrell at number two just for uh, I love Jalen Harrell, (laughs) you know, obviously. Uh, he's just a a great all around player at that position for Michigan. Always plays aggressively. Always getting to the quarterback. So I just I'm a big Jalen Harrell guy, but Braden McGregor is right there for me. Looking at his stats, you'd never be able to tell that he's made the kind of impact that he's made on this team. Right. But as I referenced with Josiah Stewart always getting a hand on the quarterback, always wreaking havoc in the opposing team's backfield. He's just always causing trouble, uh, always getting his number called. So for that, I'm putting him right there with Jalen Harrell as being as impactful, pretty much. And then Derek Moore, whom you've referenced, has probably the largest upside of any of those guys, still has three sacks on the year. 
it's just been uh, very interesting to watch these guys rotate and work in unison and all kind of eat through uh, through this first nine games of the season. Well, yeah, and Derek Moore is probably the only one of those guys that's back next year, uh, just considering all the circumstances. So it'll be interesting to watch him grow and see just how high his ceiling is. And speaking of high ceilings, we've got a few guys to talk about that have very high ceilings, so high, actually, that they're chasing records. They're chasing records. We've got some guys on this team that very well may break some all-time great Michigan records. And so I think it's this is a good time to check in. You know, we're getting on that home stretch of the season. Let's check in on a, a few of these guys. Let's start with the most obvious one. J.J. McCarthy is chasing the uh, one of the more embarrassing records in college football history. Uh, Michigan's passing touchdown record for a single season is 25. Not, not an enormously high number, but Michigan has really hasn't had a lot of quarterbacks that have amassed, you know, freakishly high totals in their careers. And so uh, currently, J.J. McCarthy has 18. He didn't add to that total in this last game, which after the four-touchdown game, it looked like he might just blow this thing out of the water. Then he brought us back down to earth with the, the zero-touchdown game against Purdue. So he, he has 18 currently. Trying to get to 25. Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. Does he, does he get there? Does he break it? Uh, you know, I had a lot of confidence heading into this Purdue game that uh, he, he at least hits it by at least more than a couple. Uh, I think the Purdue performance hurts him. That said, I think there's a lot of big opportunities for a Michigan offense that looks very different than it did a year ago. Uh, for J.J. McCarthy to to collect the, that number of touchdowns to surpass that 25 mark. So I'm going to say yes, just uh, barely by the, uh, the skin of his teeth, uh, just in terms of the regular season. You know what I mean? I think that, uh, that obviously he'll more than surpass that by the time that rolls around. But just speaking in terms of the regular season, uh, if you go back, I think, a year ago, I don't think JJ threw for any touchdowns against Penn State. I think it was all Dono and Blake uh, yeah. on the ground that entire day. Uh, so no touchdowns for JJ in that game. And then uh, against Maryland, he had two, Ohio State three. So uh, if you look at his body of work against those three teams last year, he had five. So we'll see what new and improved JJ McCarthy can do. Uh, kicking that five up a notch against those uh, three teams at the latter end of this year. I'm really glad you brought up uh, regular season versus postseason. I believe he can get there in the regular season. You've really just got to look at, okay, there's three games left in the regular season. He has to get seven touchdowns in three games to tie the record. I think it would be likely that he gets seven passing touchdowns in those three games just simply because we're probably going to see him play four quarters, which is something we haven't seen him do much of at all this season. And in, in competitive games, I have faith that McCarthy can, you know, patiently find the open receiver, hit a guy in the end zone, scramble a little bit. He's shown time and time again. In fact, during the broadcast uh, this, this last week, they mentioned that he's the most accurate passer in the entire country 
uh, on the move outside the pocket. He was completing something like 92% of his passes out outside the pocket. So when you got these games like Penn State and Ohio State where you know there's there's going to be a significant rush, he's going to have to make some plays. Um, I say we see him get at least 25 in the regular season and then pending what the postseason looks like for Michigan, um, I think we may even see him push all the way up near that 30, that 30-ish number depending on how many games in the postseason happen. And so we're on the same page there. JJ's breaking this damn record if it's the last thing he ever does. Uh, Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, here's one that might be a little bit harder to achieve. Actually, quite a bit harder to achieve. This is a long-standing record in Michigan history. Um, Roman Wilson is somewhat chasing the single-season receiving touchdown record, which, of course, is 19 set by our guy Desmond Howard, uh, you know, and that's his Heisman Trophy winning season. Well, Roman, he's got some work to do, but he's not that far off. I mean, he, so he's got 10 right now. And I, I think you and I would both agree he's not getting to 19 receiving touchdowns in the regular season. But if Michigan's got three more regular season games and then let's say, theoretically, a Big Ten championship, and then two games in the college football playoff. Let's say that happened. That'd be six more games there. It's not out of, it's not out of the question that this dude could uh, reach the Des- Desmond Howard record of 19. And so, Matt, what do you think? Does he get it? I'm thinking no on this one, Mike. You know, there were uh, a lot of whispers that he would definitely, definitely get there with uh, how on track he was early in the season. But it uh, looks like he's fallen off a little bit. It would have been so nice if uh, some of those 143 yards that he was able to collect yesterday resulted in some touchdowns. But, uh, you know, still just ha- a great season for Roman Wilson. So nothing taken away from him there on that. Yeah, I agree. He's going he's gonna to see the end zone a few more times at least. You know, hopefully he gets up there in that. 15, 16, 17 touchdown range, but you're asking a lot for a guy to match Desmond Howard's Heisman Trophy winning season at Michigan, one of the most legendary seasons in all of college football history, but uh, Roman will try. I mean, absolutely he'll try, but you mentioned it yourself. He, he, He had a huge impact on this Purdue game without even getting in the end zone, so it shows you just how hard it is sometimes to get those touchdowns. He had nine catches. 143 yards, zero touchdowns. And so he's been sitting at 10 for a couple weeks now, if you count the bye week as well. Um, If he, you know, let's say he has a multiple touchdown game against Penn State, then then you and I might be having a different conversation a week from now. If he's sitting at 12 next week, uh, that record might be kind of in shouting distance. And so we'll go ahead and and, uh, stay tuned in to that one. Now, here's one that I, I, I'm just going to say it. 
I think this record's going to fall by a lot. Uh, Blake Corum is chasing his former teammate's record, Hassan Haskins, of 20 rushing touchdowns in a single season. Blake Corum currently has 16 touchdowns. Um, I don't think Blake Corum can like trip and fall fall forward just in his daily life without accidentally scoring a touchdown. This dude, this dude's a walking touchdown. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Blake Corum uh, exceeds that 20 touchdown single season total. I'm going to say he exceeds it by at least three. I think we're going to see well into the mid 20s of touchdowns for Blake Corum. Would you agree? Yeah, you and I see this very similarly. I was actually going to say 23. I think that uh, he has a big game against uh, Ohio State. I think he has a big game against Penn State. And uh, I think he has a big game against Maryland. You know, they're always pretty thin in the trenches. So I think that there's plenty more touchdowns to be had for Blake Corum before the season ends. And I think that he's going to smash that record by at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned Ohio State. I just, I really want him to be able to play a full game against Ohio State because he's actually been injured the last two years against Ohio State. In 2021, he played and actually busted a long run in that game, but his ankle was a little, you know, he, he was a little beat up in that game. And Hassan Haskins really carried the workload with his five touchdowns against Ohio State. And then last year, of course, he just couldn't go. He couldn't go. He got, got hurt in that Illinois game just could not make it work and then ended up having surgery in the offseason. So uh, knock on wood, a healthy Blake Corum against the Buckeyes would would be legendary. Um, and then, of course, on the all-time career touchdowns list, we might as well just reference this since we're on Blake Corum. He passed up uh, Tyrone Wheatley for number two all-time overall and is is now behind only... A-train Anthony Thomas for the most rushing touchdowns in a career for a Michigan Wolverine. A-train is, I don't know, a good uh, 10 or so touchdowns ahead of him. I know A-train had uh, 55. Do you know, what is Blake at total right now in the mid-40s? I know. I feel like he's at like 47. I could be wrong though. Don't quote me on that. Is he getting that close? Well, then... I think he's in the low. I think he might have went from 41 to 44. I don't know. One of our listeners can look it up and tweet at us that we got it wrong. But he's in the mid-40s, and he's got to get all the way to 55 in order to get Anthony Thomas's record. So it'll be interesting to see if he can actually do that. that 47. Would be 47, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, you got it right. So he, So he's only eight away, and we both just said that we think we think he'll get to 23, which is seven more touchdowns. So we're, we're, we, we've got him pegged for right around the all-time career leader in touchdowns, which, which would be insane because he didn't have a freshman season like Anthony Thomas or Mike Hart. You know, that when their freshman year, they were very much involved in the offense. Blake Corum was pretty much an afterthought his freshman year. So uh, that, that'll be interesting to, to stay tuned into. It'll be interesting to have the uh, conversation of where Blake Corum ranks amongst all of the great Michigan running backs by the time he calls it a career. You know, actually, I think it'll all come down to how he finishes this season. It really does, because when you start talking about guys like 
Tyrone Wheatley and A Train and Chris Perry and even, you know, Bianca Batuka or, or even his former teammate, Hassan Haskins, who scored five touchdowns against Ohio State. Uh, Jamie Morris, right? Like there, there, there's a lot of, did I mention Chris Perry? I think I said Chris Perry. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of running backs to, that he, he could either fall below if, if his career or season doesn't end very well, but he could become the greatest Michigan running back of all time. He's very much, you know, in the running there. And of course his, his, uh, coach Mike Hart right now is one of the guys that could claim that title, right? The, uh, he, he's the all-time leader in rushing yards. So, I don't know, man. A lot, a lot of uh, positive things going on with Michigan. There's also some not-so-positive things happening in the media, and we'll get to that here in a second. But um, let's go ahead and, and do our What's the Deal segment. And this is an opportunity for us to say, what's the deal about anything in college football and uh, you know, a little bit about what's going on with Michigan. And I'm going to jump in first and give you mine because mine is actually not Michigan related. And I think that yours probably is just because there's a hell of a lot to say what's the deal about in this whole investigation and a lot of the stuff going on. So I'm going to jump in and say, what is the deal with all of us as a, a college football fan community completely ignoring the value of defense when we're evaluating college football playoff contenders. And let, let me explain what I mean by this. There are teams that have no business even being talked about, and we shouldn't have been talking about them at all for several weeks because when the season started, they showed us that they had zero semblance of a defense at all. There was like no defense, terrible defense. And yet we, we get blinded by these magnificent offenses and we think, oh, this team could still make a run at the playoffs. And of course, I'm talking about the USC Trojans and I'm talking about the LSU Tigers, both of which got their third loss of the season, which is not surprising at all. When you, when you don't play defense, you're going to lose games. And so what is the deal with all of us being uh, – distracted by shiny objects and being like, oh my God, they got a great quarterback and completely ignoring the value of a defense. It's not surprising at all that these teams fell off. What's the deal, Matt? I have no idea, buddy. You know, it's uh, it all comes back to my phobia of the Pac-12, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're all capable. Most of the teams within that conference that is finally disbanded almost, but uh you know, all of the teams pretty much within that conference are, you know, accused of doing that same thing or putting that similar teams together that that run in this same fashion. And, uh, you know, I, I really can't stand to watch it. It's part of the reason why I've historically never been much of a fan of uh, those types of teams that yield those types of offenses with absolutely no defense. So, uh you know, at the end of the day, it results in a crying Caleb Williams in the stands and uh, the USC Trojans who have fallen off and are super down bad at this point. I'm going to take it back to Michigan with my what's the deal. And uh, I'm, I was going to call out Ryan Walters for obvious reasons, but he ate a lot of crow in his post game uh, conference about Michigan and 
and uh, seceded to them being a, a superior opponent. So I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to go back to the officials, and I just got to know, what's the deal with Blake Corum's phantom holding call uh, where he upended dude and uh, just laid up a perfectly good, like, epic block on this guy that was uh, that was making an attempt on our quarterback and then gets called for holding. So I know everybody was in an uproar about it. Immediately, comparisons started getting thrown around to Karan Higdon, Northwestern. I certainly got those types of vibes. Mike, I got to know, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's one of these weird circumstances where you almost wish you could review a call like this, but then you start thinking about the can of worms that you open up if you review holding calls because you could pretty much challenge every play and review every play because there's so many borderline holds on every play. And so what I think probably happened was the ref saw this play a little bit more in the peripheral of his vision. And it. I think what he saw was that... Uh, you just saw Blake Corum lay dude out. And yeah, I think he had I think, to call a penalty because of it. Well, it, right. It looked like the he, Blake Corum took this dude out of the sky and pinned him to the ground. And so the ref was like, yeah, that's a hold. And then you go back and you look at it and it's like, no, this dude jumped up in the air, put his nuts in Blake Corum's face. Blake Corum said, no, thank you. And fucked him up. And then, and then, uh, actually on the way down, the guy grabbed like the back of Corum's helmet and pulled Corum down by his head, which if you want to get technical is as a penalty on the defense in that, in that play. And so, you know, I'm going to give the, the refs the benefit of the doubt here. They got a really tough job. They're watching 22 guys every single play. They missed that call. Whatever. It's just, it, it does suck that it was the one penalty Michigan had in the entire game. So they almost it put another flawless game on tape with no mistakes, no penalties. Uh, well, actually, I think they roughed that kicker and we got away with it, but... But you know what I'm saying. Like Michigan almost got had a had a perfect clean game in there. And so I'm with you. What's the deal? Bad call. Luckily, it didn't really matter. Hey, that they fucked that kicker up too. Yeah, I was I was like, what? They didn't call that? Man, okay. Well, I tell you what, we're excited about this next announcement. Tom Brady and the team at Autograph have just announced the release of a game-changing new app that recognizes Michigan fans for their acts of fandom. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to all your favorite Michigan content, fans, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph, rewarding fans, or just click on the link in the description and download it for free today. Use code MBREW, while creating your profile, that's M B R E W. While creating your profile, all right, it's time to talk a little bit about some uh, sign gate, the biggest scandal to hit sports in the history of the world. Uh, okay, Matt, it's it's been a a bumpy ride for all Michigan fans, but college football fans in general. It seems like every day I'm scared to just open my phone because I don't know what I'm gonna find. When I get on uh, X 
you know, the app formerly known as Twitter is just feeding us all these leaked stories. And so I'm going to try to start with the early part of the week, uh, what, what was happening. And so I believe it came out pretty early in the week that uh, Santa Ono was uh, planning on trying to solidify or execute Harbaugh's contract extension. And I think he felt pressured to come out and say that because there were, of course, some falsified reports that leaked that said Harbaugh's contract rescinded. And then everybody in the world's like, oh, he's going back to the pros. He's going to get fired. They rescinded the contract. And the truth is they just, that everybody just took a breath when this crazy Spygate news broke and they paused for a moment on both sides to wait and see how this thing unfolded. Um, so he wasn't, the contract wasn't pulled. President Santa Ono, president of the University of Michigan, came out and said, actually, we're very eager to move forward with getting this con- contract through. And right around the same time that he came out with that news, the photographs started leaking of the mystery man on Central Michigan's sideline. And I got to tell you, uh, so, so the conspiracy here are, are what, what is looking more and more like a confirmed reality uh, is this guy on Central Michigan's sideline is none other than the low-level staffer that is the, the, uh, that is the center of this uh, scandalous investigation, uh, Michigan's strategist, offensive and defensive analyst, and, uh, you know, sign stealer, Connor Stallions, uh, appeared to be dressed as a Central Michigan coach in, I mean, if I told you a guy was in disguise on the sidelines and, and you just had to imagine what would he be wearing, that's exactly what this dude was wearing, right? It was like, it was like a Central Michigan hat, real low, uh, sunglasses that covered his face. Uh, there's, you know, theories out there about whether or not the sunglasses were actually recording the game. And uh, so let me pause here and just ask you, Matt. Um, and I know none of us know what the hell's going on here, but do you think that was Connor Stallions on the sideline of that Central Michigan game? I absolutely think it's Connor Stallions. The guy yeah. looks yeah. just exactly like him. And, you know, it's really just the cherry on top to kind of this whole ridiculous situation that's been unfolding in front of us over the past couple weeks. Now, some of the stuff I will say, like, I don't know if I'm entirely like buying because the internet has just like taken this, taken this story and just stretched it wherever it can possibly go. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. You really have to be careful what you like read and go crazy over and take in all different directions. Be wary of that. So I don't know if like the glasses are actually recording because there's several other shots of him observing the game photos without the light that that everybody has deemed as proof that he's recording the sidelines. So that's just an example. You know what I mean? There's no proof to say that that uh, the sunglasses that he's wearing are record. Uh, there's stuff like that. You know what I mean? As far as it being him on the sideline, I do think it's him. I don't think there's a world where Central Michigan comes out and says, we don't know who this guy is and refers yeah. <laughs> to him as 
sign stealer guy unless they're fairly confident in some way, shape, or form that this is Connor Stallions. So I believe that the silence in that matter speaks for itself. But, you know, again, I, I think that uh, it just really kind of helps to prove this the insanity case towards this mm. uh, Stallions guy. There's no reasonable coach on Michigan staff, certainly not Jim Harbaugh, that would advise a low-level staffer to dress himself up in a disguise and uh, travel to one of your biggest rivals' season-opening games and uh, sit on the sideline with duct tape on your shoes wearing sunglasses at night. I mean, I'm kind of surprised at this point that he wasn't wearing those glasses with a fake nose and a mustache. You know, it, it was that bad of a disguise but but so you kind of referenced this that news came out and we're all processing it in real time we're like oh my god is this bad is this what what's going on and uh well i'll go ahead and tell you it's bad i mean that that's not good it's definitely bad it it actually the timing of it's interesting because i i was i scrolled back and kind of looked and santa ono coming out and in support of finalizing harbaugh's contract that was before this extra piece of information broke. And I actually think Michigan was relatively in the clear before this picture circulated. It was Things were starting to level out. Uh, they weren't necessarily dying down, but they were leveling out. We kind of knew they didn't have any connection with Harbaugh. Uh, Santa Ona com- comes out and says, we're trying to solidify this contract. Then that picture circulates and it's like, if they can confirm that that was him, which, I mean, I think they're, I think they're going to be able to confirm it. I don't know how, but I think they're going to be able to say like, yes, this was him. And that's a, that's a pretty significant violation. That's a member of the staff breaking all kinds of rules, getting onto the, you know, the field, potentially, potentially recording. I I don't know. They're, they probably can't prove that he was recording anything, but I mean, that's a, before that, we didn't actually have pr- proof of a staff member actually attending a game. And so it was uh, very much up in the air if they were going to be able to punish Michigan or how much or and all that. And, and then this came out and it hurt in that way. It also helped a little bit. And so the way that it helped is the narrative of the crazy, you know, uh, Michigan manifesto writing, tinfoil hat wearing, like guy, like this really feeds that narrative that this guy acted solo. He was selling himself as like this savant, like sign stealer to the Michigan football staff. I agree with you. I don't think there's any world that exists where Harbaugh is saying like, you know what you need to do? Like we, you need to go sneak onto the Central Michigan sideline on national TV, right? On national TV, just to get a little bit closer to figure out what's going on and maybe try to help them beat Michigan State or steal Michigan State's uh, signals. And so I think it really feeds the narrative that this guy was acting, at least in part, alone. Um, And so there's a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news. Uh, As the week progressed, there was this... um, kind of confusing situation where, well, it's really not that confusing if you think about what's going on here, but all of the other Big Ten coaches and 
uh, athletic directors got on a call with the commissioner of the Big Ten and basically said, you need to act now. You need to suspend Harbaugh. Michigan shouldn't be able to compete for a championship. Essentially, um, we don't know exactly what was said on that call, but we do know uh, there's been a couple of calls where the, the opposing Big Ten coaches and athletic directors are applying a lot of pressure to the Big Ten commissioner to act and suspend Jim Harbaugh uh, without any kind of investigation by the NCAA, without any kind of investigation by the Big Ten, without any kind of statement or rebuttal presented by Michigan. Um, and so that's a, kind of where we stand now is, uh, well, actually there was the meeting between Santa Ono and the Big Ten commissioner. But before we get into that, Matt, uh, what are your thoughts about these coaches and athletic directors calling for, Car- for Harbaugh's head, essentially? Like, what's going on there? Well, it's become kind of like a kangaroo court, Mike. You know, you got all of uh, all of these coaches, uh, and, and at first it wasn't even the athletic directors. It was just the coaches on a coach's call, kind of just coming at Tony Petiti, like, you need to act now. What further evidence do you need? Like, all of us as teams collectively have evidence, and by evidence they're referring to, like, videos of some rando that they've got like in the stands that uh that the stallions guy paid to be in their stadium or what have you so the big 10 coaches are coming at them with uh various clips and forms of evidence that they have that they themselves have deemed uh effective enough to to suspend uh, Jim Harbaugh before due process has taken place is essentially what's happening here. So, you know, in my mind, even like I try to take bias out of the equation, Mike, when I'm like thinking of this situation, I try to be as, as little bias as possible when I'm having reasonable conversations about this thing with people in public. And I just try to imagine Like, if you're in the middle of being investigated for something, regardless of if you're responsible for it, if if you did it personally, whatever the case may be, all of the details have to be taken into account by an actual authority greater than yourself. Because what you have right now are all of these coaches and teams and athletic directors that have a vested interest a vested interest in Michigan stumbling at some point during the remainder of this season. There are several voices in that meeting that stand to benefit off of something like this. So if you're going to make a decision as the commissioner of the Big Ten, in my opinion, to snuff Michigan out or suspend their coach for a couple games during their biggest stretch of the season or whatever it is that you're considering doing, is that really the route that you're going to take? You're going to take some evidence from Ohio State and a bunch of other guys that hate Michigan and then make a decision to to uh, suspend Michigan football's head coach because of that particular Everything I just said, that particular situation, that's the road you want to go down. Well, if I'm Michigan, 
I'm lawyering up heavily, and I know we're going to get into that here pretty soon, but, you know, it just screams collusion against Michigan, if if I'm being totally honest. It's just kind of become ridiculous. You can't have all of these different voices coming at a new commissioner demanding for X to be done when X, Y, and Z haven't even been completed in an investigation. You know what I mean? So. It's just crazy, Mike. There's so many things wrong with passing down a punishment before there's a thorough investigation, right? And I think we would all agree, and and we're going to disagree on the severity of what happened, and we're going to disagree on the severity of what the punishment should be. But like, I think we can all agree that it opens up uh, a can of worms that you, you can't undo if you start allowing a situation to take place where uh, somebody can be accused of something and then some moderate you know, evidence starts to trickle out in different forms and there's still a lot of gray areas and not all the facts have been gathered and then you hand down a punishment because uh, you know, how can, how can uh, you justify uh, doing that without all of the facts? Because what's going to happen is, is let's say that they they do suspend Harbaugh for two games, right? Which apparently that's what the Big Ten commissioner can do on his own without, without the board or whatever they need. Apparently he can suspend uh, Harbaugh for two games for you know sportsman, sports conduct policy, sportsmanship policy or whatever. But then what happens when they start to gather all the facts in this NCAA case and then more facts come out? Does the commissioner get to come out and say, Okay, now we're going to suspend you for a couple more. And then and then Michigan comes back with a rebuttal and then the commissioner is going to say, "Actually, that's a good point. Like we're going to remove one of those." You know, it's like, how do you gauge the severity of a suspension when the facts are still being gathered and investigated and trickling out? It's 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 reckless. It's irresponsible. Uh nobody in the court of law or or even in the NCAA would would make a decision like that. And so what happened was uh, the commissioner met with President Santa Ono. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but uh, Ono became a, a fan favorite. He was already a fan favorite, but man, he's like a Michigan legend now because he essentially said back to the commissioner, um, no, no, we're not going to suspend Harbaugh because the co- commissioner wanted Michigan to do it, right? That would have made his life easy, like suspend your own guy. Um, ono was like, uh, fat chance in hell, we're not suspending him. As a matter of fact, we support him. We believe he does everything right. With that, there's, uh, I'm sorry, we believe he does everything with the best of intentions and f- tries to follow the rules and all that stuff. And essentially, Ono said um, what what you and I just said, which there hasn't been a thorough investigation. It's not within the Big Ten's right to be suspending guys without the conclusion of the NCAA investigation or. If they don't want to go off of the NCAA investigation, then the Big Ten has a responsibility to perform their own investigation, which, of course, the Big Ten is not willing or prepared to do right now in such a short time frame to actually suspend Harbaugh as quickly as they're trying to do. And so we're recording this podcast late Sunday night just for our listeners, because I'm sure we're going to get some Monday morning news the rumor mill word on the street is that they might actually suspend Harbaugh for a couple of games. Um, I think that would be a big mistake. I think it would be a really big mistake because Michigan is lawyering up. Uh, they've actually 
apparently they've commented that that they're prepared to to sue the conference. Um, I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but there there's been word out there that Michigan would not take it lying down. Like this is not one of those instances where they're just going to say like, okay, and take the suspension. And so this judging is unlike by, any, I will say judging by the verbiage in Ono's letter to Petiti, you can definitely, I mean, there's not like a strong threat there. Like we'll take this to court, but you can definitely tell that uh, it's, kind of implied that Michigan is not going to take this lying down if the Big Ten proceeds and elects to suspend Jim Harbaugh, that there will be uh, a consequence from Michigan in terms of uh, fighting back or, or not. Well, and we also have to remember that the Big Ten commissioner, he works for the presidents of the university. And so uh, he works for Ono just as much as he works for these other guys that are calling for Harbaugh's head. And so it's not like this guy is somehow like Santa Ono's supervisor or boss or, you know, it's actually kind of the other way around. And so Ono is saying, you know, this is an abuse of power and we're going to call you out on it and we're going to fight back. And so, so there's that going on and I'm, I'm sure we're, we're going to hear some news soon. So by the time some of our listeners are listening to this podcast, they might already know what the next step is. Um, but then there's some real late news coming out, uh, r- kind of right before recording. This is interesting. We already knew that Michigan claimed that they had some uh, evidence that Ryan Day was involved in potentially uh, hiring a third-party private investigation firm, which uh, may or may not have illegally obtained information by hacking Michigan's computers. So that, that was one thing that was kind of piqued our curiosity. But now all of a sudden there's rumors from, and these aren't just rumors from like, you know, some, you know, like random, like Buckeye fan 59675 on Twitter, right? Like th- th- these are rumors from some reputable reporters that you and I follow. Um, and I'm not going to mention any names right now just because we don't have all of the details, but there, there are some guys that are reputable sources that are saying that there may be evidence out there that Michigan has of Ohio State illegally filming Michigan practices. And so this is very interesting because if that in fact does exist, it'll be a a major uh, turn of the tables, right? But also, are are the coaches and ADs going to all of a sudden be pushing for action and suspensions without due process, without investigations. And so, and so it's, it's very interesting uh, what we might have on our hands here. And it definitely, to me, uh, is starting to remind us all of just how stupidly awesome this Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is. I mean, it's bigger than sports. It's, it's so deep. And this reminds me of Woody versus Bo, where like it's getting personal it's getting legal and it's getting fiery so uh i'm gonna pause because i've been ranting for a little while so matt how do you feel about all this news that's trickling out and that i'm sure we'll hear more about in the coming days well you know mike there's been uh throughout the week the last couple weeks there's been almost like two parallel universes of news right there's the uh 
Dellinger, Auerbach, uh, all of those characters, uh, news that, you know, is a slow trickle being leaked from the same sources, cough, cough, Ohio State, yada, yada, all throughout the week. And then simultaneously, there are guys like uh, like Chris Ballas and Clayton Safey, uh, you know, the guys over at Rivals that are doing a lot of digging. Uh, Isaiah Hole, you know, trying to find out uh, some of this other stuff that's going on with this private investigative firm. Well, midweek, you know, a report that wasn't reported by some of those other bigger names that I may have just mentioned uh, got reported by Chris Ballas, you know, that Michigan is in possession of uh, uh, details surrounding the private investigative firm that links um links it to Ryan Day you know a lot of a lot of uh, out there stuff that we haven't really gotten the full big picture on yet well uh you know it's it's interesting because it's just going to be really interesting to see what kind of turn this takes because obviously it doesn't impact the actual investigation that's playing out directly but uh, I think that there's something to be said about a concerted effort to take down a rival football program by means of what is being accused here, if that is the case. Again, I'm not going to speculate as to whether or not any of that stuff is true. I'm sure a lot of you listeners follow those same sources that we all just named and and their outlets and what have you but if all of it does come out to be true i will say that it should although it's not going to impact uh the actual investigation itself it should be weighed into the facts of this case right and it sounds like michigan is uh is a little bit ahead of the ball on that point so I don't know. We'll see if there's any smoke to this, buddy. But uh, it could get exciting this week. It also could get more miserable. It, you never really know with this story. So we'll kind of see what Monday has in store for us. Well, I'm all in now, man. Like They're fucking with the leaders and the best. And, and that's exactly what they're going to get. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Michigan just put up a wall around their practice field. Um, this is This is... It literally just happened. They put up a wall around their practice field. Uh, at the same time, these rumors are coming out that Ohio State has been illegally filming practice. And so they want to come at us and make this thing political. I got a feeling we're like, okay, we didn't want to play that game. But if that's the game you want to play, let's go. Because- well, the wall, not to interrupt you, Mike, the wall yeah. is actually put up back in June. So whatever Michigan is alleging that they know about whatever team uh, that's been spying on their practices, they've been thinking that for quite a while now. So it's not something that's just being thrown out there as a defense against this sign-stealing allegation thing. For those of you uh rivals that are listening to our podcast trying to dig dirt or whatever you guys do in your spare time but uh this is something that michigan has been on to for a while now so uh it kind of the the reports that are coming out kind of align with them putting that up back in june so 
It's going to be really interesting. I typically like don't get too into all of this uh, this smoke that's coming out of like forums and stuff like that, but it uh, it definitely seems like a lot of the things that are are trickling out there kind of align with what you see Michigan doing and what they've been doing for a while now. Well, I'll tell you what, it's exhausting. I mean, it's just exhausting. And so let's talk about Penn State for a little bit before we wrap this thing up. Uh, Michigan versus Penn State on the road in Happy Valley. Not a night game, which is actually nice. You know, I think, I think, you know, I don't want to get too cocky and be like, bring on a night game. No, I'm actually very grateful that it's not a night game. It'll be a, a, a 12 Eastern kickoff. The line opened with Michigan favored, uh, favored by six and a half points. ESPN's FPI actually gives Penn State a slight edge to win this game. And so a lot of people are seeing this as a, about a coin flip. Vegas sees it as uh, an edge for Michigan, but there's no denying this is by far the most competitive game of the season for Michigan. Uh, how do you feel about this matchup? ESPN's FPI is smoking crack, Mike. I think that uh, the Wolverines, and, you know, nothing against Penn State. I think that they have a very stout defense. I think it's going to be a defensive showcase for these teams. I think that the offense for Michigan is the difference in this one. Penn State has some playmakers. You know, they've got some horses, but... After watching Drew Aller, after watching this offense play a few times this season, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to hang with the type of playmakers that Michigan has in Colston Loveland, Roman Wilson, Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy. You know what I mean? Donovan Edwards. Uh, It's not to say that Penn State is a bad football team. I think this will be the toughest defensive test that this Wolverines team has faced up to this point. I just think at uh, at the end of the day, Michigan is going to have quite a bit more success on uh, on offense in pivotal moments, and I don't know if Penn State has that same success. So I, uh, I think that Michigan it, it wins this one by two or three scores, honestly. I, I could see that as well. Um, Just a prediction. I'm, you know, it very well could yeah. easily be fucking 17 to 10. You know what I mean? But uh, just initial prediction based off of what I've seen from Penn State um, against their matchup with Ohio State and a few other games this season. I don't know if uh, if they've got the playmakers on offense to hang with what Michigan's going to be able to shake out. And I think that results in a, a couple touchdown win. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm cautious just looking at this game because it is the, going to be the best team that we've seen so far this year. And also, you know, this recipe that we've been working with, it's not, this is not a ground and pound Michigan team anymore, you know, and I think we saw that in this Purdue game the most actually is we're going to, we, we switched it up. We switched the style up. And the question now is, is this going to match up well against a team like Penn state, a team that is clearly going to be tough. They're going to have a front seven. That's that's, you know, JJ is not going to have the time that he's had, 
And so it's, it, it, we're putting it all into JJ McCarthy's hands, which is in my opinion, exactly where it should be put. And so this will be the game where we end up seeing, uh, you know, has all this hard work paid off. I believe that it will, but, uh, this is, this is it, man. This is the fork in the road. This is basically week one of the postseason for Michigan. We've gotten through that easy, you know, nine games that we all kind of knew was going to be easy. It ended up being easier than any of us could have imagined because we, we thought Minnesota or Nebraska or somebody was going to end up being a, a decent team. Uh, really, Rutgers ended up being the only good team on that on that schedule. But um, now we're going to find out. And so if Michigan goes 10-0 and 0, and we're, we're talking next week, it's Victory Sunday and we've dominated Penn State, I can tell you right now, uh, I'm going to be flying high because this is the this has been the week that we've had circled on the schedule all year long. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully Michigan gets it done. Either way, you and I will be back uh, to talking Michigan football and next week, Michigan basketball. Uh, we'll be back win or lose. And so, uh, Matt, before we hop off, any any uh, parting words of wisdom? I don't think so. I will say this, a last-minute uh, thought on the Penn State game. I think that environment, probably the worst environment that Michigan could be stepping into at this point with uh, the current allegations that are taking place, I think that Happy Valley is going to pull no punches when it comes to that. I think they're going to be chanting lots of ugly shit. I think it's going to be a very chippy game. So, uh, night or day, I think that that matchup is uh, is going to present an extremely tough environment. So that's something to watch out for. Would be uh, kind of my final parting words to uh, to watch out for next week. But same as you, buddy. If we take that one by any margin, it's going to be a top-ranked victory uh, on the schedule. People can finally shut up about Michigan uh, not having won any any uh, great games against awesome competition this year. So I'm excited for them just to have the opportunity for that and to see how this team performs, buddy. Yeah, if Michigan beats Penn State handily and they look good doing it, I will finally move Michigan to number one in the nation and my power rankings. I've kept Georgia there all year long because uh, even as a Michigan fan, I try to be uh, thoughtful and, and uh, really, try, I try to be as unbiased as possible when I'm doing my power rankings. And it felt like Georgia belonged there because they're the defending national champs and they haven't lost a game. But Michigan has been by far the most dominant team on the field this season. The only thing missing is a true test you know, what better test than a, a top 10 or 15 team on the road at their place. So that does it for this episode of the Big House Bleachers podcast. That's Matt Hartwell. I'm Mike Smeltzer. As always, go blue. Go blue.